and welcome to another episode of Over Undirected. It is your co-host Fran giving you the introduction today and we have an exciting episode. We are back into the late 90s discussing Ash and the Stereophonics with our special guest, the musician, comedian and podcaster Robin Allender who chose Ash as his underrated choice and then paired them up with the Stereophonics if you're a podcast fan, you may know a Robin from my own personal Beatles, the Clientel podcast, and he's also the previous co-host of The Moon Underwater. We chat over two playlists and then we decide if either band is overrated or underrated, whilst also discussing a myriad of other musical topics. So, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Over Underrated Podcast with Fran and Babs. Is it over or underrated? And welcome back to another episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. How are you doing today, Babs? I am very well, Fran. How are you doing back from your holidays? I am on four hours sleep and rowing the podcast. I've had a week in Crete to sit back and listen to endless podcasts and lots of music from the 1990s because Bab mentioned a task and I jumped on top of that task and I'm listening to every album I can think of from the whole decade of the 1990s. If you are watching our social media, you may have come across our naughties takes from previous guests mentioning their top five albums. So we may be doing a 90s one in the future. We may, we may. What have you been listening to this week? Well, yeah, so I also started doing the 90s completion task and it's very difficult because in 1990, I was three years old. And <laughs> for 1990 and 1991, I'm really struggling, as I was saying to Fran before the recording, but it's kind of, I'm not minding it because it's making me listen to whole albums of bands that I like, but I've never maybe taken the chance to before. But I have also been listening, Fran, to Sugar Babes uh, because I saw them, the original trio last week in He's good fun. old Brussels, uh, MKS, and they were really, really good. You know, I thought, you know, I they have good songs. Surely they will have good voices, but I was really amazed at how good their voices were. They had some excellent musicians with them as well. I think one of them was from Brussels, so they kind of were introducing him being like, oh, you know, his Francois, he's in his hometown, and he did some guitar solos, not what I expected. Several guitar solos at a Sugar Babes gig. Never would have thought. Yeah, that was maybe my surprise gig of the year so far. But you've seen them before, and they were good, right? I have seen three different versions of the Sugar Babes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow! But have you seen the original? Have you? Well, you last year, oh, okay, last, last okay. year at Victoria's Festival, I saw the original three, and it was a beautiful occasion. And I was dancing to "Ugly" and "Round and Round," surrounded by ladies, and I was the only man there. But I'm, that's fine. It's oh really? It's perfectly fine to love the Sugar Babes and be in your forties. Oh, t- like, t- I think, you know, I'm I'm 36. I was not the youngest or oldest person there. I was very much in the middle. Fran, we are not here by ourselves. We are joined by a guest. We're joined by musician, comedian and podcaster Robin Allender. Hi, Robin. Hello. It's nice to be here. Thank you for coming. What music have you been listening to? Any Sugar Babes? <laughs> um, no, but I do love the Sugar Babes. Excellent. They've got the best Wikipedia page in terms of the members because it's got beautiful symmetry to it. You know, because it ends up being the same members again. Isn't there like an effect or something? Or 
there's a certain name for like because the sugar babies at one point there was none of the original three yeah. so could it really be called the sugar babies it got quite existential from what i remember yeah, like triggers triggers broom kind of vibe isn't it yeah what have i been listening to i love the new mitski album i've been listening to that a lot i've been listening to it a lot but there's one song on it in particular called heaven which i think is just absolutely beautiful so i sort of have just been listening to that song on repeat through <laughs> i don't know I don't know, I was sort of feeling a bit emotional maybe when I first heard it. It was like, I don't know, really, really, really affected me. Just, you know, walking along Walworth Road, a man in his 40s just crying to Mitski, like a character in like a Zach Braff film or something like that. But it was really, it's really, really good, that song. Oh, that's I think. good. She's, she's, she's amazing, amazing songwriter. I don't know that many of her songs, but is it kind of a, a sound evolution of the new album or more of the same and, and that's all good? It's less kind of, less maybe angular. It's It's more... It's got more of an Americana kind of vibe. And there's a bit of an almost, to that song, there's almost a bit of a, I don't know, for, to me anyway, Twin Peaksy kind of uh, thing going on. You know, in, that, in the, it's that, that kind of very 50s kind mm -hmm. of thing. No, I, 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 what you made me think of, um, do you follow the Indie Sleaze Instagram account, Robin? I don't think I do, actually, no. I feel like, Fran, I, I might have mentioned it to you before as well. It's just literally at Indie Sleaze, and mm. they're very, the way they curate it is kind of, yeah, posting images from that time. And I think the one they posted possibly today was Sky Ferreira standing in front of a cafe called Twin Peaks Cherry Pie. And I was just thinking when you were saying that about how Twin Peaks has just never really gone out of fashion, like no, whether it's it the the TV show, the atmosphere, the music. I still haven't watched Fire Walk With Me or the new one. I don't know if it's worth it. it yeah, I, I don't think I finished the new one, but there is a really amazing episode of it, which is, you'll, you'll know the one when it comes along because right. it's quite it's quite extraordinary. I yeah. think I destroyed Twin Peaks because I first watched it when I was like 11 years old. Oh, right. too young. And too young. It, it was like, what the fuck is happening? And mm. I think that like, I haven't gone back after <laughs> after seeing Bob. Is it Bob? Yeah. Bob, yeah. Yeah, and having uh, having having nightmares from Bob. So I, I, I should watch it as a grown up because I believe it's supposed to be fantastic. I have seen File uh, Walk. Is it Walk With Me? Yeah. File Walk With Me. Yeah. yeah. Loved the music. Uh, did not yeah. get the film. But hey, I was like 11 years old, so. Yeah. You're not meant to get it. Really. Right. I don't know. <laughs> so the theme for today it is Britpop Part Three, hmm. and discussing whether they're overrated. We're discussing Stereophonics, and Robin has picked Ash as underrated today. Hmm. So Robin, yeah, shall we start with Stereophonics and hear from you on on how you feel about them? Which, from uh, corresponding with you beforehand, a bit conflicted perhaps about saying the Stereophonics are overrated. Well, yeah, I mean, first off, I don't, I feel a bit uncomfortable being overly critical of any artist, you know, on a podcast <laughs> or in public kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also stereophonics, are they overrated? They're, they're not very critically rated. They don't often get very good reviews, but they have, they are incredibly popular. So in that sense, they are overrated. I mean, I, I really, when you asked me to do this, I, I'd, I'd been listening to a lot of Ash, so I thought I really want to talk about Ash, because I think they are genuinely underrated. And then I was just basically trying to think of a band who I could compare them with. But I think there are some interesting comparisons, actually. I think there was an awful lot of promise with the first album of but Stereophonics. I remember reading an interview, this was like in NME, maybe when the first album came out, and I think there was a thing where they were going to call it The Town Was Mad, which was the working title of Under Milkwood by Dylan Thomas. Because mm, okay. all the songs on the first album are about different characters and and uh, events in the 
town where they mm. grew up. And I thought that was really, really interesting. But then when I heard the album, I found it musically, like maybe not that inspiring. And I think as they progressed, you know, I, I really, as I say again, I don't want to be too critical, but I have, I, you know, I find them fairly pedestrian sometimes. Don't worry, we'll do the slugging off for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't think we've had any any hate mail, so don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> I think the the only time people got hit up was when we discussed whether Prince was overrated, uh, and people were like, right. "How fucking dare you?" Without even listening to the episode, it's like, hang on. <laughs> so you know, it's it's all very fairly couched, but you know, it's it's just not for me, basically. But you know, they they they're, they're incredibly popular, and some people love them. You know, it's just it's just not for me. Bran. They are your kind of thing or not really? Stereophonics. So yeah, I guess like Ash, they were the, uh, the tail end of a Britpop without actually really being Britpop. I think basically if you were from Britain and you had a guitar in 1997, you were there for Britpop, even though, you know, none of the um, idols were at all like the same as like, you know, Blur or Oasis really. Um, so so I, the first album completely... I, I didn't notice it at all. I, I think I first heard them when I think either Bartender and a Thief came out or Just Looking around mm. 1999. I think it's the um, Performance and Cocktails album. And I didn't mind it. I quite, I've been, my first ever festival was V99. And wow. Stereophonic was second uh, on the list. I spent the whole day just dancing around to Supergrass and, uh, and Soul <laughs> Wax and Shed Seven, having lots of space. And then suddenly the stereophonics must have been at the height. And they first, the first song was Bartender and a Thief. And I saw yeah. a girl scream, scream for her life as she got carried away in the mosh pit. And I had to grab hold of my friend who was six foot four and hold on for their life. And I wow. don't think I've had a scarier moment in history. And I've seen Nine Inch Nails and like proper like heavy metal bands, but the Stereophonics yeah. in 1999 <laughs> was the scariest gig of my entire life. Wow. Wow. Because That's obviously at, at the peak, you know, you know, yeah. any band who who are like that popular, people go go crazy for, even if, you know, they're not playing like a heavy metal track. That is amazing when you when you go back to, when you watch like all those Britpop videos on YouTube or something, it's like Sleeper playing at the Astoria or something. It's like massive mosh pit. It's yeah. <laughs> so funny when you think about it. But yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, apart from the first song, I can't can't remember any of that, that gig. I've seen uh-huh. them headline two more festivals because, yeah, unlike Ash, they are still headlining festivals you know, 20 mm-hmm. or odd years later. And I don't think they've improved. I think that maybe Kelly Jones is drinking from the same fountain of youth as Paul Rudd. Because I, um, I don't believe he's that age in 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I probably own performance cocktails. Um, I didn't mind it when they came back with Dakota for a little bit. But, yeah, they kind of became like Rod Stewart MOR um, <laughs> after the second album. And, I've, that, yeah, they've not really recovered. But, um, Babs, were you a hardcore Stereophonics fan? I almost did a Welsh accent and I, I, I chickened out. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had, I can say, zero traumatic experiences involving the Stereophonics. I'm, I'm happy to report. So I felt fairly neutral about them coming into this. If someone asked me, you know, do you think they're overrated? I'd be like, well, probably yes, because they're they're quite popular and some of their songs are good, but, you know, I don't really get the hype so much. I will say that when you said a girl was screaming, I mean, we've got to say Kelly Jones is extremely fit and that is definitely one of the appeals for me, a heterosexual woman. Uh, One of the videos that I I watched from, from Robin's Picks, I was just looking at his eyelashes for a long time and I was like, God, yeah, he really is quite cool. And he's not really my type, but there we go. I think he has an amazing voice. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea and sometimes they get um, kind of slagged off for that as well. 
Um, and I dipped a little bit into kind of interviews and I found it quite funny that he was like slagging off Tom York. And then there was a bit of a backlash against that because he was saying that Tom York looked really sullen in uh, meeting people as easy. And he was slagging off hearsay and manufactured pop. And I thought, really? Mm. Like from from a band that, you know, got so big that that surprises me. But I will say I also read an article. Um, he has a trans son and uh, he's really proud of him and talking about it very openly, which is really sweet. And I think. They, they, he thought he had a daughter who was coming out, and so he wrote a song about that. But then it turns out he had a trans son, and he's yeah, he's been really fantastic about that. So, kudos, yeah. uh, kudos to that. But yeah, going back to the music, uh, it blows my mind that they supported the Rolling Stones. It blows my mind even more that David Bowie asked for them to support him, and the fact that they've had five consecutive UK number one albums. Uh, the last mm. one being Pull the Pin. Um, so yeah, I, I think because I left the UK in two thousand and one, uh, Dakota, for example, that came out after I left. So it you know i think that's for example one of those songs that when you hear podcasts on radio x it seems like that's always a song that i and that was dakota by stereophonic that's <laughs> that and like something by red hot chili peppers is always the the stereotype and i'm thinking like oh yeah i guess if that's on the radio a lot you might feel that they're a bit overplayed but for me like before going into playlist i'm coming into this fairly neutrally but that's i mean that yeah he's obviously a really really nice guy as you're saying babs and it's quite amazing to have that reinvention in the noughties when a lot of that the bands from the 90s didn't actually manage to have that longevity. But I'm always interested how uh, they were a band who loved like ACDC and proper like hard rock bands and mm. they've really have, have shedded that sound. Like, so yeah, I think like when, um, is it called like Languor, Sex and Violence and Paul the Ping, they, they went back to a, a heavier sound and then they've mm. gone straight back to their middle of the road sort of like strum guitar, um, growly kind of uh, <laughs> tracks. Yeah. Unfortunately, because I, I I don't mind. Yeah, I mean the first two albums have, have, a, have some decent singles on it, but yeah, since then I haven't loved anything. But shall we go through the playlist? Let's do it. Over underrated. So, what's your first pick, Robin? I guess this is this was a bit of a collaborative playlist, but let's say the first three songs that you definitely picked. So yeah, yeah. why don't you take us through them and why you picked them? Okay, so first one's "Local Boy" in the photograph. Which is which? So which I picked because I think it is the it basically is, I think it's really good. <laughs> I haven't really understood the brief, have I? <laughs> no, no, no. That's but, I mean, you can pick good and bad songs for a band, right? Yeah. So this is one yeah, that you sure. do like. Yeah. I really like it, and it's based on a really, really, it's based on you know a true story, a very sad story, and um, I think the lyrics are really, really good, very, very evocative and powerful, and I think it's like. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good tune, and it's. I think maybe what's interesting about them is they ha there was all that potential at the start. They're almost literary. They were telling stories, and it just kind of seemed to get blander as they went on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose maybe. Yeah, maybe what I'm what I'm talking about with them is when you hear the latest stuff, it's sort of like where did all that where did that spark go a bit? You know. Mm. Mm. I mean, yeah, I still think that this may be their best single. Um, in fact, listening to it today, I could kind of hear it's kind of close to Ash's sound as well, really, for mm. me. Um, also, they're another three-piece. Um, I guess back then they were, you know, like uh, your, your friend's pub band who got, who, who've done good kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, the, like the everyman wearing a, wearing a t-shirt, having a beer with the stereophonics. Yeah. They did once call an album Keep Calm and Carry On. As well. Oh, <laughs> dear. That's good. Yeah. Remember when... Um, Wayne Rooney got the uh, just enough education to perform tattooed in his arm. I did not remember that. <laughs> I mean, out of, all, out of all the albums you could choose, really, the most bland album of all time for sixteen-year-old Wayne Rooney. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's, it's kind of strange because like 
hasn't really got like an instant catchy chorus you can sing along to like in my head but it just all just drives forward and it's got like a, a decent rip it's kind of a bit buried but yeah it's just a it's an earworm and you know I, yeah. I, I don't hide from it now if it comes on the radio babs the first time i i had this was preparing for this podcast i'd never i'd never heard about it mm. i didn't even know that they had an album before performance and cocktails and it sounds like such an interesting album because it's about their hometown which mm. i'm gonna try and pronounce uh but i think uh it's quite quite Quamaman, uh, something like that. So- sorry, Wash speakers. Yeah, I'm not going to try either. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny that you say Ash. I-, I guess I wasn't really making the connection there. For me, it sounded much more like Mannix and early Radiohead. Mm. That's what uh, came to me. Oh, well, there was a big thing at the time, like almost is this the new Mannix kind of thing? Mm. Which, you know, is that whole, they're, oh, they're both from Wales. So yeah, so let's yeah. compare. And I feel like, yeah, literally no other song, no other song on this playlist would I would I think that. But here I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't a million miles away from Motorcycle Emptiness. Yeah, but it was also a bit literary and it was, um, mm. you know, working class. And yeah, I don't know. I can see the connection. But yeah, you're right. It's just putting two Welsh bands together, really, isn't it? But yeah. For me, it was fine. I, I said it was a solid three stars. I enjoyed it more on repeated listens because I think it's like Fran said, you know, it doesn't hook you in immediately. And that is, I think, the mm. case for me and Ash as well. I'll, I'll be coming back to that. And you mean, Robin, you mentioned the story and it is based on a on a real story um, of, a, of a boy who jumped in front of a train. And I will be bringing up some incredible YouTube comments that I've seen on some stereophonic songs because what I do love about doing this podcast, especially when we do our Eurovision episodes, Robin, because we do one every year, oh, it, nice. it is how just, you know, these days, thankfully, when you go on YouTube and you see comments, it's just positive. You know, people are commenting because they love it. So even when it's the most trashy, tuneless Eurovision song, people are like, yes, Romania, we love you. You know, 12 points from Germany. Yeah. Um, and there was this incredible comment, which uh, was from at Joe Walker 643. And he said, I'm a train driver who has had to deal with more than my fair share of fatal incidents. And after my last one, my brother, who loves his music and is also a driver, shared this with me. I've never felt angry towards the people who take their lives on the railway. You have to be pretty desperate to go out that to go out that way. I have my own little reminders now and then. You pass that spot, same time of day, similar weather, and it creeps back in. I usually give this a listen when I get home and I think about the families who have to carry that pain around with them. The song captures all of these first moments in the pain of memory so well. It helps me feel not so alone in it. Which I'm like, Aww. this is poetry on yeah, YouTube. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, well, that song really has touched a lot of people, yeah, because of yeah. that. I, I, I read as well, I think, that the, the father of the boy who it was about saw Stereophonics play their gig and then went and thanked uh, Kelly Jones for writing it. So, you know, that's it uh there's and i have more positive comments coming from other stereophonic songs so uh, yeah it's 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 nice to see but to be fair but i've never found a diehard stereophonics fan so are there that many out there well I'll, i will tell you what i uh i wonder if he'll be listening i had a call with a, a client of mine i'm a communications freelancer on friday and he was wearing a stereophonics t-shirt and i was like oh my god you have no <laughs> idea what i'm talking about and he was like yeah i saw them in concert every time i go to a concert i if i like it i'll buy a t-shirt i love them. he was very i mean he wasn't diehard but he was very positive about them so. yeah, you may get one angry dm from wayne rooney but apart from that I'm <laughs> <sure we're fine. laughs> i remember i worked with a, um, a welsh guy when I was in Bristol, who was going to see them in Cardiff the night after work. And he said, I, I know what he'll say when he come, he'll come out. He'll go, uh, hello, Cardiff. And it's like, is that it? Is that as good as the banter gets? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so we move on to your next pick, Robin. So next up is Have a Nice Day. And this is where it gets very meat and two veg rock, doesn't it? Because 
this is there's not a great deal going on in this song is there it sounds like you've just kind of walked into top man <laughs> um yeah i'm just not a fan of this song i guess it's a bit bland isn't it it's, it's really strange because he was signed up to be a, a bbc scriptwriter at some point really? in his life. i did not know that yeah, yeah. So he he studied at university, and and I believe at the same year he got signed. He also got given given a, a BBC contract to be a, wow. a scriptwriter, which which is why I think in a lot of videos he he does reference a lot of films. Mm. It's a massive film fan. So when he he like come across this, it's like I mean, how lazy <laughs> can you be? And yeah, the idea is that he went to San Francisco and he went in a cab driver and he had a conversation. And yeah. that's it. Well, okay, and that, the guy yeah, said, "Have a nice a day." Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, this is literally free, free cause the entire way through, and it's. I mean, this has got to number five in the charts. I have no yeah. idea. It's so bland, and yeah, I, I cannot believe it's the same band. Two years later, we're doing bartender and fifth and etc. Et, et, et it's yeah. I feel sorry for Strict Cable because uh, yeah. I think like for this album, he's just literally just like doing the most slow, <laughs> boring drummers for the entire time. No wonder he he quit the band. Well, he got sacked in the end, didn't he? But yeah, uh, not for me at all. And I, I, I I'm shocked why this is still played heavily. You hear it a lot. It's one of those songs where I don't. I've never consciously played it, but I swear I bet I know every single word. Do you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> by osmosis, it's in there. And, and I'm not a big fan of any chorus that just goes, come on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I tried to listen to it as objectively as I could to be like, right, okay, let's try and not feel like this is one of those songs that was everywhere, but it was difficult. I would say that, you know, looking through Stereophonics discography, I'm like, is this as, let's say, annoying as Just Looking or Bartender and the Thief? Maybe. Maybe it is close. But I think, you know, the fact that it is only a couple of chords uh, and it's a bit whiny, mm. it's not it's not great. But I do I do like the synth flourishes and the slide guitar bits in the in the bridge. But I've written, of course, the bar, bar, bar gets on your on your nerves. I really like Bartender and the Thief as well. That's a really interesting song. And they're using weird guitar tunings. Let's let's try and be really positive. What's the something positive we could say about Have a Nice Day? <laughs> Sometimes, like, a band just needs to write a song that will get on the radio. Well, again, Robin, if, if you want to feel positivity, go and look at the YouTube comments. Because, yeah. like, literally, it's people being like, oh, I was having a really shit day. And then I put this song on and I felt a lot better. And <laughs> so, then I had a nice day. <laughs> then he had a nice day. <laughs> I mean, I, Fran, you mentioned the story about it is based on a, on a real cab ride that they had in San Francisco. But they, it mm. said that... When they got in the cab, the first thing the cab driver said to them was, I hate this place. It's full of tourists and processed fish, which do end up in the lyrics. I think it was literally like they had a wacky taxi driver. They, as soon as they got out of the cab, wrote everything down and just decided to write a song. So, hey, get your inspiration oh, wow. where you can. <laughs> maybe that, well, again, that's something that's like a lot more interesting than maybe it comes across. You know what I mean? Like, because that's that is quite an interesting story. It, it is an interesting story, definitely. As a rock and roll band who are in their early 20s in America on tour, is that the best way they had? <laughs> but do you remember the music video? Because I, I vaguely remember the music video for this, and, I, and then I went to watch it again, and I was like, yeah. Is it referencing a film, Fran? What you mean when it's like them um, in a, like a white video with like loads of ladies and they start firing like uh, uh, arrows? So, and Kelly the ladies are all young and glamorous yeah, yeah. and nubile, of course, yeah, and almost yeah, naked. Yeah, 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 but yeah. when they start firing the arrows they look really old. Suddenly all their faces go really old. 
and that's their true face and i'm like and and uh the, so because old people are ugly uh, old people, uh, people yeah. who can fire <laughs> magical <laughs> lasers Ugh, gross but in the in the music video the so um is it richard and stuart are playing their instruments but kelly the whole time mm-hmm. he's pinned up on like a, a target board kind of thing you know mm. the kind that magicians would throw swords at yeah and he's surrounded by balloons and yeah when they when the women fire the lasers at him it pops the balloons and he just he's just there the whole time standing like this and i'm like is this some crucifix like what what is the meaning i don't don't get it it looks a little bit kubrick um art direction wise but i don't know if it's actually referencing a film uh so robin what would you like your next pick to be (laughs) what should we do mr writer because this is one you chose right yes and i i'm afraid to say i tried to listen to it today and i couldn't get past 30 seconds of it i'm so sorry i don't know why okay. maybe it's like agree maybe agree. it's just a traumatic oh. um not, you know, okay i know I fran tra- has an excuse for trauma but i don't know if you do robin okay <laughs> no i just found it's it's so kind of plodding and also it's a, it's a kind of song van morrison always does this where he includes a song in his albums which in later albums which is always like a, a a dig at music journalists you know and i think it's sort of just the it's kind of like it makes you sound bitter, I think, doesn't it? I mean, that that's what this song's about, right? It was aimed at music journalists, isn't it? So what I read was that there was a live album by the Stereophonics called, I absolutely wrote it down, Don't Let the Devil Take Another Day. Mm. And when I think he's about I'm to I'm surprised introduce- it wasn't called the Stereophonics live album. <laughs> but I, I will say, okay, apart from Keep Calm and Carry On, they do have some good album yeah. titles. I, yeah. will, I will give them that. Just Enough Education to Perform, I think it's yeah. a good album title. You've got to go there to come back? Yeah, why not? I, I, <laughs> well, you yeah, do. That's one of those ones that maybe the more you think about it, it's the more like, you think. Well, and do you know the the where the language sex violence other comes from? No, it comes from the yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, friend. The before you see a, a film, it's in the uh, what's it called is the BBS. Yeah, mm. Mm. Oh, they yeah, saw yeah, it on the back of a James mm. Dean DVD. But yeah, just going back to the story of is it about journalists or not? Basically, he said, contrary to popular belief, I don't hate journalists. The song took me about 15 minutes to write and about 15 years to explain. But it was about a relationship with a guy that came on the road with us. And he had his version of events and I had mine. Okay. Right. So I, I don't know. He could be fucking with everyone, right? Like he could have just been been saying that to build on the mystique. But well, I remember when at the time when this came out, it felt like because they'd had so many bad reviews, but maybe for the second album, that it was like them kind of um, having a go back at the journalists. But um, so that's why I've I've always kind of written it off as that kind of song, like a Van Morrison style song, where you know you don't know what they're writing about or something, you know. It's um, yeah, but I just I, again, I just find it it's it's so plodding. There's nothing I, I don't find anything really interesting about this song. I mean, Fran, before I try and defend it, it sounds like you feel very similarly. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> even the keyboard sound is just horrid. Yeah. I, I guess that, I guess that is a change of direction. Obviously, having a what a, a horrid keyboard, keyboard sound. <laughs> yeah, I, the, yeah, we embrace that direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some engineer finally found that sound after. I want um, it to but, sound yeah, bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just, yeah the first time I heard it. I thought, oh oh shit, what what's happened to them? And then like. It's got like 9.2 million views mm-hmm. on YouTube as a, a top five hit. It's played constantly. I was yeah. like, okay, okay. I, I'm just not connecting with, with the rest of the UK, I guess. I know, but like, it's, it's funny as well, isn't it? Because I remember I, I was at uni when it came out, I think, and my friend Jenny, and I mean, I was a pompous twat at university, as you can probably tell, because <laughs> I'm a pompous twat now. <laughs> many, many of us yeah. were. But like, I remember my friend saying like, 
you know, shut up. I know what you're going to say. I really like this song. All right. You know, so, it's a, you know, you've got to respect that. Some people like it. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really surprised just because, so this is literally the only stereophonic song I have saved and the only stereophonic song that I listen to regularly. I like the evolution of sound. I think it sounds quite trip hoppy at the beginning. Mm. Um, I like the piano and the bridge. I like the, and the creepy, creepy sounds and the, the processed guitars. And yeah, I've got the music video still here because I very, very much remember the music video and it was kind of creepy in a stylish way. So it, I was, I would have been 13, 14 at the time. And I was quite a sensitive child and scared by many things. But for me, it was just on the edge of like, oh, this feels a bit dangerous and, and weird, mm. but um, I'm quite enjoying it. When I was reading about the inspirations behind it, it really surprised me. They'd been listening to Stevie Wonder and a song called Maybe Your Baby. I don't know if mm. you know it, but I went and listened to that song and you could have tried if you'd asked me what song inspired this, I could have named 10,000 other songs before coming to this because Maybe Your Baby is a very slow, very funky song. Mm. To me, not much similar, not many similarities there. I think it's really catchy. And I think I just, I detach, I, I, again, Fran and I famously, if you listen to this podcast, don't really pay much attention to lyrics. And I just detached the fact that it was maybe him slagging off journalists. And because I was so young when I heard this song, I just didn't really maybe think, it was anything in you know of, of importance. I I just enjoyed the sounds, but clearly I'm in the minority here. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because I think if I would have said if there was to, an influence on this song, I'd say it was ballad, "Ballad of a Thin Man" by by Bob Dylan because it's got the same kind of descending chord sequence and also that is very kind of bitterly taking aim at a critic. So I I mean you know again looking at a positive spin on it, but maybe it's a, I I always thought it was them trying to do something like that and ref maybe referencing that as well. It's so interesting, isn't it, though? It's like, like I said, literally, this is the only stereophonic song I have saved and ever and ever kind of connected with. And both of you are like, it's so bad that I can't even get past the first 30 seconds. I mean, that is... <laughs> I guess it's just, it's early noughties trauma, isn't it? I guess, <laughs> oh, that's isn't the truth. Got so much chat about trauma. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Over underrated. I'm a reformed music snob. I absolutely mm -hmm. was when I was a teenager. And I think sometimes when I listen to the, you know, the poppier songs that I liked from that era that made it through despite me being like, no, Muse and Radiohead are the only good bands. It is the memories a lot of the time mm. as well, isn't it? It's like listening yeah. with your friends or dancing to it in nightclubs and, I don't know, having hopefully non-traumatic festival experiences. Yeah, totally, <laughs> yeah. And that's, they, they used to be a really, really good, um, you know, Robert Newman. The stand-up, you know, used to be... Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He used to do a really good bit. This is ages ago, back when he was, you know, in Mary Whitehouse Experience or something, where he had, he said um, he got a Clash album and it played at, um, he played it at the wrong speed. Um, so I can't remember if he played it too fast or too slow, but he basically made himself like it. Like even like it didn't hit him on any level, and he realised afterwards he was playing it at the wrong speed. But he made himself like it, and I think there's a lot of, I think that for me that that really rings true about when you're young, particularly with spending money on records, where you mm. kind of actually just like you think I'm going to really try and go into this, <laughs> like yeah, you know? and it's um and then like you with the perspective of, you know, a, you know a few a few years you look back and go God that wasn't actually that good. <laughs> you know? There is one particular noughties band, which I won't mention really, but because, you know, again, I don't really like slagging stuff off, but like, I do not understand why I, I listened to them as much as I did. 
What other Naughties song have you picked? Should we do Dakota next and then finish with Yeah, let's with do the... Dakota, yeah. I mean, let's face facts. This is a great song, isn't it? It is really good. It's okay, but I will <laughs> leave you to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Fran? You, you, you nodded your head. Well, I remember um, I listened to it on the radio that I went to my uh, weekly pub quiz and announced that I've just heard the best song of 2005. <laughs> <laughs> But at the time, you know, a hundred plays later, you know, it's maybe diminishing returns. But it was again, it was, it was was unexpected after writing off the Phenomics after hearing "Have a Nice mm-hmm. Day" and you know, "Had Bangs and Glad Bags" being played. Oh God, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that yeah. Was I missed the writer, and basically, you know, like the radio to play. Uh, and then suddenly, oh, okay, they've they've they've. Is it a phase keyboard or is it a guitar? I don't know what the, yeah, the first kind of synth, you hear with. Yeah, from phasing on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then okay, they're, they're trying something different. It's got like a, it's got like a, a double chorus thing yeah. going on. I'm a big fan of, of a double chorus. Yeah, it's it's instant. Um, but yeah, like I said before, I think maybe now people may pop it into the uh, the sex on fire. Yeah, mid naughty songs overly played and played too many indie discos and too many talent contests. But um, yeah, I, I think it's one of the best yeah, songs. It's, good. it's really simple as well. It's got it's really nice melody and you know. It's that major seventh. It sounds really nice. It's got very, very nice, um, you know, playing an A major seven, hitting that G sharp. It sounds lovely. We do like hearing people go into that music <laughs> theory. <laughs> it rarely happens. Usually people go, it's got a good beat, this one. <laughs> the production is nice. <laughs> yeah, but that, that major seventh is like a, a naturally beautiful chord. And because it, it's got a kind of slight dissonance to it. So it, it, if you think like A is the root note and you're basically singing almost an octave above it, but one semitone lower. It, it always has a very, very, like, um, quite beautiful sound. But it's a note of longing to it, you know? So so it could, is it a cynical? Is that a cynical way of getting a hint? Oh, no, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, uh, no? I don't know. It's just good. I mean, it's sometimes... You, I mean, <laughs> I think, that, that, like I said, it's very good that they, they did try and reinvent themselves, I think, and... And just to do something so simple, just a few chords as well, it's good. But yeah, I mean, this is a UK number one. It's got over 31 million views on YouTube, which is insane. But um, obviously, you had moved country by then, Babs. So was this played at all? I think it or? was, but not not to the same extent. Like, mm. I definitely wasn't traumatised by, by this song in the way I was by Just Looking or, uh, yeah, Handbags and Glad Rags, which I really had kind of erased from my mind. Um, So it's not that I don't. I don't dislike this song. For me, it's another, you know, three stars, maybe pushing to three and a half stars on a on a replay. And I guess, I guess, you know, it's got some more synth sounds, which feels a bit like an evolution. So maybe that's why it made such an impact. Although I think it made an impact in the US in a way they hadn't before. So maybe, you know, it just stands stands alone. Mm. Nothing to do with uh, the evolution of sound. Um, and I think if if you don't like Kelly's voice, here it's much less sharp. It's much more smoothed down, mm. uh, much less rough. But the the lyrics are some of the blunt. Like it, having just said, I don't pay attention to the lyrics. Holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> the lyrics are about nothing at all, and the drumming is not usually something I pay attention to. But it adds absolutely nothing to the yeah. song. Uh, it's pretty motoric style, isn't it? It's yeah, really, the, which, uh, interesting. that's interesting. Did, I'm curious as well because was was this like popular with that whole kind of noughties indie thing? It was. I remember, like, this would appear on like compilation. I still buying compilations, mm-hmm. like you know, best indie hits of two thousand and five. And so, yeah, I think it's still, it's still. You, you hear it alongside like Sabian. I think there are still like semi 
semi-popular indie band back in 2005, yeah, yeah. maybe for the last time. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like this was their last popular song, perhaps. It's, it's, it's a thrill, but yeah, it's just been overplayed. Um, before we move to our final pick, I'd just like to read out another bit of YouTube poetry, if that's okay. So this is uh, from the Dakota video from at Sean Lehman 7519. Mm, they yeah. say... Oh, yeah, he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, good guy. <laughs> Best mate, right? <laughs> um, so they say... Strange how music can act as a tap to such specific and detailed memories. I when that. I hit, <laughs> I mean, okay, get get ready, Robin, because this is uh, this is this is quite this is lovely. The, the, the subtext of all these comments is you were just young. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. you know? But that is, I mean, I get so many comments are like, oh, you know, yes, I was twenty and now I'm thirty eight and I'm still listening to this. But 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 yeah, hold tight, hold tight, because uh, th- this is quite nice. So he says. When I hear this song, I remember standing at a bus stop with this in my discman waiting to go to work in a little train station bookstore I worked in. It was 2005 and I was in the midst of some relationship tumult that would ultimately result in the end of that relationship. It felt like the end of the world. I remember the cold and the road looking slick and wet. I remember the smell of grass, moss and wet black soil. I remember wondering what might happen next. Not six months later, I was living in Tokyo and singing this song in a karaoke booth under a few too many cups of sake. Now I think about it all again in my middle ears. Moments of seeming fine moments of seeming finality and significance that are now just little bumps in the road just as this moment will be in five or ten or twenty years time it's beautiful stuff isn't it honestly i found an amazing youtube comment under an ocean color scene video i just oh, found it tell us. Here. <laughs> how long has this been saved you <laughs> <laughs> i love this i found my platform to share this <laughs> I think I tweeted it at the time. It's like, well, I was watching Ocean Colour Scene videos on YouTube, I don't know. But like, yeah, here we go. I, I haven't got the username. Turning 18, Ben Sherman shirts, friends, freedom and alcohol. The 90s were the best years to be young. Now I'm the tragic 40-year-old man that I despised back then. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. He's just nostalgic. Yeah. We have done a show kind of scene. Shout out to, to Tim Cottage uh, on the podcast that he picked as, uh, as underrated. With. Underrated. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, because yeah. I think they the, the, the other thing to remember about the 90s is that music journalism could be absolutely horrible oh, yes. in a way that is completely mm. unrecognisable now. And in yes. some ways mm. you miss that. But like, um, yeah, Ocean Colour Scene just did not get any good reason. And they weren't like that bad. You know what I mean? But it was it was really nasty. There's actually I I, I had a uh, stereophonics review that I wanted to read out because it was so it's so horrible. Mm. And you're like, well, you know, I'm on the side of Kelly Kelly Al here. Um, so this was a an Observer Music Monthly review of Just Enough Education to Perform by Tony Heyman, and he said. Regardless of their level of education, the stereophonics clearly have no performing qualities whatsoever. Jesus. If they are suggesting a connection between formal education and musical ability, there must be four illiterate morons who are expelled from play school for being too thick. And oh. then he called the album musical excre- excrement scooped unhygienically from a poorly maintained squat toilet in an area without adequate sanitation. He suggested if it wasn't laminated, the CD insert booklet could be distributed to third world communities as toilet paper. I mean, calm down. Bad. Shit Calm down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is really bad. And I think there's also, I mean, obviously, there's a huge amount of snobbery in that as well, isn't there? And I don't know. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's really bad. I mean, the band I often think of is, is Slow Dive, who were, uh, um, uh, uh, they're still going brilliantly, uh, which is great because they've survived this thing and they survived all the trends and everything. But like mm-hmm. when Britpop came along, they were just, they just literally would not have been reviewed. And they were just, if they did get reviews, it was just, they were so out of time and just so unfashionable. That's the thing that, as well, that happened with Britpop is all that really quite interesting 
late eighties, early nineties indies was just swept away and just seen as embarrassing and mm. you know it's so bad. Yeah. Like even like a band like My Bloody Valentine, like when did Loveless come out? It was like ninety one. Ninety one, yeah. Mm. But like in in when reading Enemy, like uh, in the uh, maybe ninety four, ninety five, My Bloody Valentine didn't even get mentioned ever. Like this seismic album came out only a few years previously. I never ever got mentioned as being an important record of that era. It's so weird. It is strange. Like you'd have bands who'd be headlining like Reading Festival, like Ride mm. or The Wonder Stuff in '92, '93. Yeah. Then by '94, I oh, know they don't exist anymore. Like, how can one year pass and they exactly. can be dismissed as if they never but existed? I, I think that is weird. the British music press over maybe any other music press where you yeah. just have so much talent in your aisles, uh, but it's so uh, the fashion dictates. dictates it's so much because the thing with the British music press, as with the tabloids and everything, they love to build people up to then tear them down, you know? Mm. And so it's like, if someone's hot stuff, the press will absolutely obsess about them. You'll read articles nonstop. And if they make one misstep, then it's, you know, uh, back of the queue. Fran and I often talk about how, you know, there are lots and lots of bands that, you know, have been going strong. Um, you know, one of one of my personal favorites that we talked about, Blood Red Shoes, you know, the, the, they're still touring, they're oh, still yeah. releasing albums, you know, years, I think they're celebrating 20 years next year together um and yeah when do you ever see them talked about or or reviewed uh there's lots of examples like that and the, the thing is like with the review that i read out like it is quite you know out of context it is quite funny and it is quite well written yeah is is the thing but it's like but it, it is just the the, the bile of it mm-hmm. is it really mm-hmm. necessary it, it, i mean it, it does remind me a bit of what you're saying about your friend robin like before you say anything i like this song so yeah. don't uh you know don't but ruin like, it for you, me you, I, I I mean I um I th- I think there's a bit a lot of classism about it as well. Like I think um I think you know Oasis aren't my favourite band, but like I, I think a lot of the criticism of them, you know that thing of like calling people thick and stuff is really really shit, isn't it? And yeah. um, you know I think you know when people when people criticise the fact oh, Oasis Oasis lyrics were rubbish or whatever, but like that's clearly not the point because it's communicating on an emotional level. And, you know, you just have to look at all the thousands of people singing along to realise that, you know, interesting lyrics, quote unquote, aren't important in the same way with a band like that. I think Fran and I would agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's all about about creation, isn't it? But I guess, I mean, these days, the power dynamic of the journalist to the the the, the artist has completely changed. You know, back in the 90s, you'd only find out about a band through that magazine. Now with social media, but we need critics yeah. because they've got 100 million followers and that magazine has like you know 0.5 million <laughs> so why should they care yeah. so you know i think that's why people can't be nasty anymore because they, they wouldn't get yeah. away with it but um i think didn't caitlin moran give like silver sun like a naught out of 10 and read out a, a eulogy to the band being oh, dead oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. but that was the culture wasn't it like uh yeah but yeah my music journalism is very piecemeal it is like from the social media that i follow I will follow music uh, publications. Then, if a headline catches my eye, then I click on it and read it. And I, re- mm. you know, the, the best of the year lists as well. But uh, yeah, I I think I have very little time for snob. You know, of course, you can have an opinion about whether you like someone or not. But when it's very snobbish or when it's very like, um, you know, uh, because it doesn't form this category, I don't like it. Uh, and uh, there's this great quote from yeah, maybe actually I can I can put it up. 
So here's the quote I'll, I'll read out. So this is Dave McCullough in Sounds in 1979. He said, rock stars and their audiences blindly perpetuate and correspond to each other. Rock becomes a habit. People collect rock like they collect stamps or old clothes. They can't break off the habit and face that frightening photo called change. <laughs> I love that. Because, yeah, yeah I, I know those rock fans. Uh, definitely. And I, I used to be one of them. So we discussed the final pick. Yeah. Let's and we're do doing it. Mama Told Me Not To Come, right? We are. Um, technically a Tom Jones song, I guess, but... Yes, I kind of put this one forward because it, I think it's an interesting song to talk about, but also because I think this is a very interesting album and time uh, for Tom Jones because this is certainly how I discovered Tom Jones. I like this song. I unironically like this album. I, I own it. There is a fantastic cover version of uh, All Mine by Portishead with Tom Jones and Divine Comedy, which is uh, genuinely yeah. creepy. I mean, you look shocked. I know. I know. It sounds crazy, but uh, it's it's very good. I had not. So I knew it was a cover version, obviously, because all the all the songs on that album are cover versions. But had had either of you ever heard any of the originals before? I think I've heard the Animals version, maybe. There's an Animals version and a Three Dog Night version. I think I've heard that mm-hmm. one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because the Animals version... So, for, for sure, Kelly and Tom have the best voices of, of anyone. But the Animals version, Eric Burden has a really funny voice. There's a, there's a bit more character to it. Yeah, and the Three Dog Night... Mm. Yeah, he, he really does. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know his name before doing this. And the Three Dog Night version has a really fun kind of amped up guitar solo. And this kind of... It kind of ramps up towards the end. But I do think this is the... The superior version and i do remember it being played a reasonable amount but burning down the house was no. played way more mm. uh, so i'm not too traumatized by this uh are either of you <laughs> i think it was again it was just so it was always on so it just feels like walking into a service station or something it just feels <laughs> we've gone from top man to a service station <laughs> the whole gamut of shops uh, with yeah. stereotonics oh uh, yeah i just found i mean i mean i do like tom jones and i do think he's yeah, I've forgotten that Porter's head cover. Let's check it out. I think I think his son started to manage them in the nineties, which is why he suddenly started to want to work with like the like the the, the pop musicians. And I remember like remember remember like Rock Profile, Dave yes. Williams and Matt yeah. Lucas. I remember they were they were like, yeah, I'm Tom Jones. I've been I've been hanging out with uh, Tears of Fears <laughs> and they... <laughs> but they felt like you know he had never heard of the Cardigans. He had never heard of any bands. When suddenly he's in the studio of running down the house. Oh, wow, sex yeah. bomb, sex bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure he knew the style of Franks, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he had never heard of everybody else but on the album. Wasn't but... the, um, you know, he did, he did a kind of almost Johnny Cash esque, uh, kind of tried to do like a Johnny Cash kind oh, of hurt oh, yeah, yeah. style uh, album thing. But he's, I basically said, like, if that's what they want. If that sells, that I'll do it. <laughs> you know. Uh, did you? Did either of you look at the music video as well? Because I did remember, like, they were at a house party. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so they meet like an older lady. Eventually, drinks a drink and then passes out it's in the like, bathroom. If, like Tom, Tom Jones is like giving her like a you know a, a roofing. Oh, I didn't even and think then, about it she, like that. Oh. And, and then, and then they have a party. Then she wakes up and goes. Jones? Uh, like, but to, don't forget, Reese Evans is there looking up women's skirts, which is marvellous as yeah. well, um, for, for no reason. I, I, I just thought she wasn't feeling very well and passed out in the bathroom. And Tom Jones was like, well, oh, fuck it. I'm here with my boys, the Stereophonics. Still going to party mm. it on up. But yeah, I, I think there were some of the YouTube... So all the YouTube comments are like, Tom Jones, what a legend. Um, but one of them was saying like, oh, you know, every time the stereophonics like say a word or sing a line they are all looking up at tom jones quite adoringly and it's true mm. it is quite sweet how kind of in awe 
Uh, they are at him, but yeah, weird, weird music video, weird choice of song. Apparently, they recorded it face to face. Oh, okay. They were in two in two booths opposite each other, so they could they could literally sing to each other. Oh. Is it to get that beautiful Welsh chemistry <laughs> together? But to to finish up, so Fran, overrated. To be still headlining festivals twenty five years later, I, and I've I can't think of a a decent track in more than fifteen years. So I would say overrated i mean they haven't really tested themselves as far as online and i had a i had a brief check through the albums before recording us just to see if they've released some bangers without me knowing about it and no uh, but they they're basically each album is a copy of, of the last um and yeah i mean kelly's doing his thing i guess the fans are happy but for me you know i think they probably peaked yeah in the mid mid noughties so yeah for me overrated i think they've got like uh, 3.7 million Spotify yeah, plays 3.25 million per month which is high and it has so many number one hits I mean mainly in the UK obviously like I said I don't think they're really known outside the UK at all so but UK UK wise for me overrated yeah I was really surprised when I saw that Spotify statistic because I thought that is far more than I thought it would be and when we get to Ash Ash is so much less and I thought it would be. Did you check the cities, Fran? Are they all in the UK? Yeah, they are. It's uh, London, Manchester, Birmingham, Glasgow, Dublin are the top five cities on Spotify. So there we go. No, no, Cardiff. no, Cardiff. Well, no, but I'm guessing smaller population, maybe. Yeah, I, I do think they are overrated. I, I do enjoy some of their songs, but when, when I saw that Spotify number, I thought that that is a lot of songs. And when I again, David Bowie asked them to support him. That absolutely blows my mind. When there were, I mean. David Bowie obviously has always been friendly with the with a lot of newer acts. I'm like, really? There were there was no one else. Um I yeah, I, I think they I'm I'm not angry I'm not angry about it in the same way that I am angry that Oasis are as big as they are, because I, I have many more issues with, you know, Oasis's music, posture, everything. So, you know, Kelly, keep drinking from the well of youth and entertaining us all. And, you know, I hope you can make a living happy, happy for any musician to make a living um but uh but yeah i i mean i did see that the latest album is it called ohia or something like that did get good reviews so i did wonder is it worth kind of dipping in a little bit to to more recent ones but it sounds like uh, maybe i shouldn't run i'm sure there's far more interesting music out there for you to listen to perhaps i mean the whole of the 90s listen to the whole of, whole of the 90s and then once you've done maybe go back to <laughs> the stereophonics okay i'll start with word gets around <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Robin, anything else you want to add on the stereophonics before we go to part two? Yeah, I'll say they're overrated, but it's fine if you like them. Okay, you know, fair, I just fair want enough. to sound kind of neutral. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of part one. Do you like music? And do you like podcasts? Chances are you like music podcasts. Take this one for example, Pick a Disc. I'm Matt Latham, and every fortnight a guest comes on to Pick a Disc to talk about an album for any reason that they want to. They'll talk about the, the album as a whole, we talk about songs, we talk about any personal stories about the album, any if they've ever seen the band live, and all, all sorts of other crazy tangents. And if any point any of that made you want to listen to Pick a Disc, then you can find us on your podcast apps of choice or on the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagram under Pick a Disc. We're also on the We Made This Podcast Network on We Made This Network com and on twitter at we underscore made this goodbye underrated
and welcome back to part two. We have discussed the stereophonics, and now for Robin's underrated pick. So, Robin, who have you chosen and why? So, the band I've chosen as being underrated is Ash. Um, and that's because particularly the early stuff, I think, is so good. And it just had an incredibly profound effect on me. Uh, that um, It sounds kind of ridiculous, to be honest, but honestly... But the, the the album, the mini album trailer, completely changed my life. It's a really important record for me. I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, and so I think they're underrated because when they went on to do, you know, Girl from Mars and 1977, and then carried on, and it's brilliant that they're still going. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Well, I think it's not that they lost something, it's just that they grew up. And I think there's something so perfect about Trailer, about how young they were when they made it. And it doesn't quite... 1977, they were trying... I mean, it was produced by Oasis's producer, wasn't it? And it was really trying to be this big, kind of quite glam record. And I, I don't think that style particularly suited them as much, maybe. I think there's just something really really interesting and special about trailer and the first three singles I, and i love it i absolutely love it <laughs> so were you that, that's that 1994 95 so were you in, into it then yeah this goes back to the importance of mark radcliffe and mark riley's radio one show which was so important in developing my taste and so many other people i've met i mean they would have simon armitage on talking about poetry they would have will self on talking about novels. They'd have um, Mark Kermode on talking about films. I know it sounds very blokey when I talk about it now. They also had Katie Puckrick on, who was really funny, talking about America. It was incredibly funny, but it was also just an education. Like I found out about so many bands, so many books, so many films. And yeah, some of the music they were playing at the time, like Gorky's. Um, I wanted to do Gorky's for this, but I couldn't think of a, 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 bad, a kind of good comparison point, but. I remember like uh, being in Wales because my mum's Welsh and being at gran my grandma's and uh, hearing Gorky's for the first time and just I just loved it and I, I loved it was Miss Trudy and I I just loved it so much and I still do um, and he also and Mark Mark Radcliffe played Uncle Pat and that's just it was just one of those songs where you know I heard it and my ears pricked up and I just I just absolutely loved it and got the album. So really, why I like it so much is because it reminds me of that really formative experience where I was. It just felt like every night I would discover so much new stuff that was so interesting, and and it would make you laugh as well. Were you too young to see them live? Though? When did you first see them live? If you have seen them live, I saw them live um, in yeah. I saw them live at the Fleece in Bristol in 1995 on the last day of Year Nine. <laughs> Which amazing was, really was that was amazing. that one of your first gigs or um yeah i think so actually no that my first gig was also ash it was 94 so i was really young actually to go into a gig i guess i was 13 it was bristol in 94 that was brilliant yeah because the first gig i saw was ash with sleeper and suede <laughs> at the anson rooms that's a great venue and a, a great lineup <laughs> yeah it was a good lineup yeah um yeah suede were brilliant and suede is still great yeah yeah so i still got it so Babs, what are your thoughts on, on Early Ash? When did you first discover them? So when did I first discover them? I definitely discovered them. I definitely had discovered them by the early to mid-noughties because I remember tipexing the lyrics to Burn Baby Burn on an exercise book <laughs> because when I moved to Luxembourg, 
we were allowed to pex, which seemed to be like a heathen, a heathen product of material <laughs> when I was at school in the UK. When you did exactly, how dare you bring in tipex? When I was at school in Luxembourg, they did not give a shit. So I remember having an exercise book with lots of lyrics. I am definitely an Ash fan. I saw them live for the first time at Warwick Student Union for their Meltdown tour. Mm. And that really got me on board. And I saw them quite recently in 2018 in Antwerp at the Kafka venue, which is really, really small, where uh, Mark Hamilton made very intense eye contact with previous guest Richard's uh, partner. <laughs> just Ooh. It was a very small venue. And he is quite a, a very tall, imposing guy, a very mm. small venue, which is that like, you know, playing bass with his eyes. Uh, and they were, they were incredible uh, both times. I think on the Meltdown tour, I think I, I knew Orpheus and that was it. And I fell in love with that album and uh, and really liked it. I do own Free All Angels, which I bought at a shopping centre in Monaco, as nice. you do. <laughs> I was on holiday with my family. And it has Candy in French as a bonus track. Wow. Uh, which is, he's got a great accent. And um, actually, maybe the first time I saw Ash was them doing that on top of the pops. Mm. And that's what, what got me into them. But they are power pop slash pop punk, which is not one of my favourite genres. Mm. However, I think they get away with it better than anyone else so I, I feel like on a on an initial listening especially earlier ash it starts and i'm like oh this is just too damn melodic but it does always get me but i would say that my era of ash is more nuclear sounds free all angels and melts i'm basically charlotte hathley mm, yeah she's great her solo album's really good as well it's, it's really good. kim wilde great song uh, I think also as a female rock fan, seeing really not seeing yourself at all, mm. her coming into the band was quite important because it was like, oh my god, they've they've chosen a girl, and she was almost a girl. She was nineteen, I think, uh, when they hired her, and yeah, she could rock out on the guitar just as well as everyone. So that did feel quite formative of like, oh, you know, this band that seemed quite popular uh, and everyone liked. So I would say, yeah, I'm not there. Then they're maybe not one of my favorite bands, but I, but I am a fan, and I don't really know Trader Era. So coming into this, Robin, mm. uh, I'd heard one of the three Trader songs that you put on here, and I didn't know the other two. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. But Fran, it sounds like you, you heard and knew about Ash, and I'm guessing you liked them almost from the beginning. Uh, not from the beginning. Okay. Um, I was a late into the indie world. In the mid nineties, I saw listening to Duran Duran. You listen to New Wave, yes. Duran Duran, aha, talk, talk, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and Japan as a fifteen year old. Um, so I think the first Ash song I heard was probably Goldfinger. Yeah. Uh, and right. a, and then I loved a track we were going to mention, Life is Ordinary. And then I guess like many people, apart from Babs, we were confused by Nucleus. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is a change of direction. And then you know, I forgot forgot about them until they released uh, Shining Light. And then there's a new application on my computer called Napster. And that was the first album I downloaded illegally really? from Napster. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I did buy it on CD later on. And it was during the Napster era when some songs came up I hadn't heard before, including Jack Names the Planets and Petrol. And that's when I then discovered that they had Trader. Of course, you know, back in 1996, you're unaware of these EPs yeah. unless you had a finger on, on the pulse at the time. So, yeah, so I discovered it way later. And then I think the first time I saw Ash was uh, uh, Reading 2002. Okay. Uh, probably at the, the peak. It was um, Ash, Muse and Foo Fighters in that order. 
Okay, well. And and then I've just seen, unfortunately for me, I've seen Ash to slowly play further down the pecking order at festivals. And now, you know, they're, they're in the middle of, of, of the day and they play, you know, go on Mars, burn, baby, burn, and one new one then gets dismissed after 30 minutes. And I think it's a, a shame because, you know, I, I, I saw, mm. I, I, I've listened to all of their albums. I saw them in 2010 and had Russell, is it, is it Lyak from Latak from Block Party? Mm-hmm. He was, he replaced Charlotte live. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, they're thrilling. I saw them at Coco 2010, an amazing gig. But I've not seen them be better than that because, unfortunately, I've seen them at festivals when people just want to hear the four songs they know, and that's it. I'm just always so glad they're doing so well. Like, I follow them all the socials. I I haven't really, like, checked into all the albums, but I've always just got such fondness for them, you know, that I will always support them. And I haven't seen them play recently, but I would really like to. And I really liked Envy. Envy's a really good song. I saw they recorded that they had a new album out this year. Came out quite they recently. Do. Actually, I think Race it just came out last week, didn't it? Yeah, they got to number fourteen in the chart. I believe it's the first time yeah. in twenty years. And it's on Fierce Panda as well, isn't it? Like, yep. Um, and they recorded the video for it in a really good pub in Brixton, which is if you ever heard the Barry Glendening episode of Moon Underwater, it's that pub, which is quite oh, really? weird. <laughs> but but um, also, also Irish, so I don't know, yeah. a random collection. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, so it's just always a thing where I just always felt I don't really have another band like it because with Gorkies I followed them all the way through, and I still follow Aeris's solo stuff. But with Ash, it's just like it's like in amber or something, and I just always have such fondness for that first first uh, mini album trailer and those first few singles and bits of pieces that they did after. And I don't know. I just um... it's sometimes difficult when you have such love for a band's specific album or albums to move beyond. I have that sometimes yeah. where if it's not immediate, then you're like, ah, oh, but it's it's not as good. And <laughs> why am I wasting time on this? No, let's just go back and listen to the other stuff. Because I, I guess I'm the one who maybe saw them most recently in 2018. They did play a few songs from the album that they were touring at the time, Islands. And I remember I enjoyed, I enjoyed all the songs from it, but especially Confessions in the Pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I listened to it today and I'm like, yep, it's still... Holds up. Guy can write. He can write a tune. Tim Wheeler. He can really. He can write, write a tune. tune. He yeah. can play a guitar. He yeah. can look very cute as well. And we'll come back to that. So, Robin, what's your first pick today? Well, let's go chronologically. So, the first one's Jack Names the Planets. They recorded it originally as a very scratchy kind of seven inch, and then they re-recorded it for trailer. So, the version I I like is the version that's on trailer. And yeah, what's so interesting is they're obviously coming right after Nirvana. So. On trailers, it is quite grungy, and they were also used to be. I think they used to be quite. I think they used to be in a band called Vietnam, which is such yeah. a bad band. <laughs> but they were big, like Iron so Maiden funny, yeah. heads. So if you get into metal, you really learn your chops as well, which is really good. Like he's a really good guitarist, Tim Wheeler. But there's also like a punky influence as well, and also like you say, really big power pop thing. And I always think they're a really, really good pop band, and they've cut. Co- they covered ABBA, ABBA as well. Excellent. Two great ABBA covers, including Lay All Your Love On Me, which oh, is I didn't know they did amazing. That. They did, yeah. um, what's, the, what's the other one they did? Um, Mom- was it Does Your Mother Know? Yeah, Does Your Mother Know, that's it, yeah. But yeah, Jack Knows the Planets, I think, what I love about music of that, when you're getting into music when you're that age, particularly in a pre-internet age, is you don't know what it means. <laughs> and, and you can't look up the lyrics. Yeah, well I had the lyrics in the cassette, which I can now no longer read with my 42-year-old <laughs> eyes, but... Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, but apparently he got the lyric from a Stephen King book. It's the chapter title in a Stephen King book. I forget which book. 
I think the talisman, if the right. internet tells me correctly. Right. Yeah. And it's just such an evocative title. And you already think, like, this is a band that's doing something slightly different because it's so poetic. I think it's really, like, and it's just a brilliant song. It's just so good. And it's like, I mean, I, I know a guy who's an amazing jazz musician, and he said, you know, I owe everything to Dookie by Green Day because he, you learn one chord, which is a bar chord, like a five chord, and you can play every single song on Dookie. You know, so which is amazing. So that gives you such a gift. And it's a similar thing if you're learning to play the guitar. The Jack Names the Planets is so simple and it's just bar chords and you can play it straight away, you know, to cover it in my school band. And um, and that was the other thing is like they were just a few years older than me. So mm -hmm. like they were like, so it, was, it just felt like almost we're nearly there. We could we could almost do that and it was that kind of thing as well they, their life seems so exciting and it's like you'd look look through all the photos and the in the album sleeve the same with gorky's like with the gorky's album patio they were like such a similar age and you just look oh why isn't my life that as exciting as that <laughs> you know um but yeah jack knows the planets it's just it's just brilliant it's a great chorus i mean the lyrics are just superb as well the lyrics are really good i think I think if you were a teenager in the 90s, you had a lot of competition because you had Supergrass at also like 16 years old. Yeah, it's like all these yeah. bands getting number one albums at like 15, 16, and you're there <laughs> playing four chords in the acoustic. Thinking, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I had, yeah, I, didn't, I, I was yeah, 22 when I first heard this and I didn't get the start of it. I mean, there's like two like Dutch accents talking yeah, about. Yeah, I never got that. But that's another great thing. Like, I don't understand. But do you know the story that of that? No, no, what's the story? So the story is it's two Dutch guys who he met. Uh, I think they met when they were touring. Um, and one of them, his name is like Oscar something, but he's known as Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, yeah. So, so it's quite funny because when you go on Wikipedia, it's like dialogue, Oscar Wilde. And at the beginning, <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. And Patrick the Brewer. Is that the other one? Ah, oh, that very well could be. I didn't. I didn't write it down. But it's basically he. The, he met them, and they were saying like, "Oh yeah, Jack names the planets. That's a good title. But you should call it Jack names the planets New Venep, which is the town where they come from, which right. is like this tiny town, I think, between something like the Hague and Amsterdam. Right. And they were like, "You, you should call it this." Yeah, the center <laughs> of the universe is the planet New Venep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool! Wow. So I never knew. I didn't know that. I never. Knew I, that. I didn't know that until today. Yeah. Um, I watched the, the music videos and I had no idea that this song was in the film Angus, mm. which was like uh, a teen film from 1995. And I believe um, the opening song for that film Angus was a song from Love Spit Love slash Psychedelic Furs called Am I Wrong, which is the first version. Um, so yeah, so the, the music video, it's, it's got like an American music video. Right. With like loads of images from this big film of like um like Ash appearing on posters. It's like this is a song that got no, I don't it wasn't even like was it even a top hundred or something? And it's got this like quite yeah. expensive music video around it. Yeah. Very aha, uh -huh, I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. Like... Like, um but yeah, for me, I it's, it's instant. I guess, you know, it's like if you were in a garage band and you came across this catchy chorus, you know, you'd be like, you'd be the teen idol for, uh, in, at, you know, in your sixth form um, um, party. And I think this song got from Stein as well. This is the one that they, they noticed, I think on their, I think it's called Garage Girl EP. And yeah, when they first heard this, I thought, yeah, we're, we're signing it. But yeah, it's a, it's an awesome song. And I still think they play it live. I think I've heard it live mm. as well. I think they, they, they do this and Petrol still from trailer. Do you know who did the music video for, for Girl From Mars? No, you go for it. Peter Christofferson from Throbbing Gristle. It's good, good, good fact, isn't it? Was it was it was it a one-off or? Yeah, just a one-off. Yeah. <laughs> really? Because that's quite a. It's quite that's random. Quite a mainstream, yeah. a mainstream video. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really weird. But Babs, 
Jack Names the Planets. Jack Names the Planets. So um, I think this song, like one or two other songs, maybe from uh, from your play, this Robin. I this is what I was saying. Of I don't get into them immediately. So I agree that the chorus is hooky, but when it, when it starts. I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the chorus and I'm like, oh, okay, no, I, I think I think I get this. And then when it goes again, I, I really need repeated listings. It's not automatic um for me. Um and yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, when when I saw your list, I was like, oh, you know, what what would my kind of top five Ash songs be? And it would be, I think they would be very different just because, you know, yeah, I guess I'm I'm younger and I discovered them later and mm. uh I associate different different ones with me with them. So it's it's not my least favorite, but uh it's one that I really needed a few listens. Oh, sorry. So this one and another one from Trader, I don't think I'd ever heard before, you know, or maybe I saw it live once and that was it. But I think the reason why I had only heard, let's say, yeah, Uncle Pat is a similar file sharing story, Fran, because I think the first album by Ash that I tried to listen to was the Intergalactic Sonic Seven Inches, yeah. mm. and I think Uncle Pat is the only one that came through <laughs> on my my parents' shitty dial-up connection. And I just remember, and it was Kazar, it wasn't Napster, I think at the time. Um, and I just remember seeing that the cover was really cool, and uh, it being a compilation, I was like, oh, it looks really cool, and it's this band that I don't know very well. Um, but yeah, I think I I hadn't knowingly listened to this song before listening to this podcast uh, before. Since preparing for this podcast, basically. would you say that Ash needed Charlotte to? Uh, because obviously, I guess one people, one thing people would say about Ash is what his voice is quite weak, mm-hmm. and I think that he didn't want to be the lead singer, and the lead singer quit because he got stage fright, so he ended up just having to be the, the, having to be the singer for the band. And in his early records, I guess his voice is a little bit weak, and maybe. I do prefer when Charlotte joined because she was singing backing vocals mm. and having the double, you know, having two guitars did emphasize the sound a little bit more. Mm. So for me, it's, it's a bit maybe too stripped back. I maybe prefer the late 90s, early, early noughties sound. Although, I mean, that doesn't make me sound cool at all to say that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I th- what? I... You didn't discover them when they were playing pubs illegally more I than know, either of them? Oh, you're so uncool, Fran. I love, um, I love his voice, though. Yeah, but it's, it's a very characterful voice, I think. Yeah I, I, yeah, I quite like his voice as well. I think um, it can some every now and again sound a little bit whiny, but I, I don't think it's as much his voice as the vocal line. But to answer the question, did they need Charlotte? It's difficult to say because I'm like, in a way, I think I do think she added something that is missing in the non-Charlotte years, but they do have songs in the non-Charlotte years that I do enjoy. So I, I don't think, you know, it was all or, or nothing, but... You know, she definitely added something. She like like them. You know, she started playing guitar in a band age fifteen too. Mm. I didn't realize. I, I thought she would have been in her early twenties when she joined Ash, but no, like I said, nineteen. Over underrated. So, what's your next pick, Robin? Yeah, going chronologically, then it's Petrol, um, which is the second single, and it's also on trailer. One thing I really like about all this stuff is. Early, like early '90s, mid '90s indie. There's obviously still huge Nirvana influence. So like, as Jack Knows the Planet starts with, like, it almost like smells like Teen Spirit style way of playing the guitar, and all the drum beats always go boom, boom, like that. There's always that beat, you know. But I just, I, I love it, and because it was, um, it was kind of language that was being used at the time. You know, and I think petrol's got that, and but again, petrol just stands out from a lot of other stuff at the time because it's just it's, it, it's this note of longing in it, and it, it, it's so beautiful. I think it's such a beautiful song. 
I, I really do think, I know that sounds maybe ridiculous to be talking about Ash. And it's obviously I sound like a YouTube commenter because it's just that I was young. That's not a bad thing, Robin. Share your truth. But the, the lyrics, I think, are really, really beautiful because they're so evocative. I mean, I've just done this whole podcast series with band The Clientel and um, Alistair's lyrics from The Clientel are so evocative the way he can conjure up a, a scene with just a few words. And there's something similar happening with Petrol well, what it's about, I think, is a guy who, a kid maybe, who's at a house and there's a party and there are cars arriving and he doesn't want to be there. But just with just a few words, he's summing up that whole scene and that feeling of being young and being very uncertain. And also, like, some of the lyrics are beautiful, like, you know, I pace the darkened hall. That's great. It sounds like almost like spooky. There's something eerie about it in the dull lamp's glow. The house is drenched in light, but what have I done wrong? I quietly climb the stairs. I remember all the years. It's really, I think it's genuinely brilliant lyrics. I really do. I love it. And, you know, I just think there wasn't really much that sounded like this. It's a beautiful song. Chords are lovely. It's got a really good guitar solo. It's just everything about it's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Get onto YouTube and start yeah, back some likes and comments. Most <laughs> yeah. underrated yeah. track of all time. I haven't even got to my favourite one yet. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this sounds like maybe like Dinosaur Junior mm. with that 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 sort of sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. You yeah using the uh, guitar riff as the chorus instead of yeah. I, I, maybe maybe because he wasn't a, a confident singer at the time. Mm. He was maybe stepping back from the microphone and letting his guitar do the singing for him. I think this sounds more indie in, in converted commas. Than most of the tracks, I guess, usually like you, they got that that pop punk feel to it. This feels like more underground indie yeah. than say their, their later tracks you get on 1977. But yeah, I I, I yeah I like two tracks off trailer, mm -hmm. and this is the second track I like. So Babs, unfortunately, this is my least favorite. I think on oh, on, really? on your playlist, it's just yeah. I mean, Robin, you don't know me, but I. Uh... I am not a fan of music that sounds very melodic and the guitar line is very melodic yeah, here and right. it does dominate as Fran says. But, but I will say again, very similar to, it's very similarly to Jack James, the planets. And that's the last time I will say this. It is one where I start listening. I'm like, mm, it's a bit melodic, but I am, a I am way more convinced by the time the chorus comes around. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the, yeah, the combination of the two put together where there needs to be a continue, there needs to be an ABA for me to kind of understand it. The A by itself doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that I hate it, but it's just, again, in the context of, you know, I'm thinking, you're thinking about it in, I heard this in 1994 and it sounded like nothing else that was going on. I think that's very different to me discovering them at a later date and then coming back to listen to the earlier stuff and being like, oh, it doesn't quite sound like what I what I like. So I think there is some bias there from my side. No, I get that. Uh, is Uncle Pat your favourite track, officer? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm aware I'm probably going to sound slightly ridiculous, but I, I really can't express just how much this song means to me and how important it was to me because in junior school, I was kind of a big reader and I, I loved like The Hobbit and Narnia and things like that, and Tom's Midnight Garden, and the Deptford Mice trilogy, which I still love. Um, and then when I got to sort of maybe 12, 13, maybe, I don't know, maybe, well, basically when I went to secondary school, I stopped reading and wasn't into it at all. It just made me realise how important words words could be, really, and uh, the, the stories you can tell, and how important nature writing is, and... Um, 
I mean, like, I when I read the lyrics to this, I, I found it so beautiful and so moving that I just wanted more of it. And I, and I, I, I literally would raid like my dad's bookshelves to try and find other examples of of Irish poetry, basically, or or nature poetry that would make me feel the way I felt when I read the lyrics to Uncle Pat. Because I just I just thought it was so beautiful. I, re I and I still do. I think it's so beautiful. And be and it, and also, what is this song doing on this album? Because it's like an album of like pop punk and kind of grungy stuff. And you know, and then this, the melody sounds like an Irish folk melody, and the lyrics are about visiting a grave, and then walking back home through the countryside. <laughs> so what is this doing on this album? It, it doesn't make sense, and I loved how it didn't make sense. And I, and I, I genuinely, I, I just, I know I'm just repeating myself. I, I find it so beautiful. I really do. I really do. And it just, and then from then on, I, I started reading a lot and got really into reading and ended up doing English at university. And I honestly think that's because of this song. It was so important to me and I love it so much and I still do. <laughs> do you think you um, stopped reading so much because I guess being a man, was it not seen as very cool to be a big read or did you start to kind of pick up on that or or was it just because you started developing other interests yeah before? other interests and things got really really into music and and stuff and just didn't find you know there's a phase where you, you can't you're not really you're too old to read children's books but you're too young to read grown-up books mm. and that kind of I, I didn't really have stuff to read around then but then after reading this it's like literally I was trying to find poetry I really liked I was trying to find novels I really liked. I was trying to find people who wrote about nature in that way that would make me feel that way again. You know, I I wrote the lyrics down like on the you know. Um, did you used to get commendations? Did you ever have commendations yeah, at school? Yeah. I remember just I had the lyrics written down on that in my pencil case so I could look at it because I just I loved it so much. Was it was it just just yourself who thought this way, or were you with other friends who loved Uncle Pat and Ash, or was this your own journey? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people, I guess I was a bit embarrassed about it, how touched I was by it, really. And, um, you know, I, I don't No, I mean, a lot of my friends, yeah, I went when we saw Ash at, in, uh, at the Fleece, a lot of friends, you know, loads of people from school went and absolutely loved it. And um, I don't think I really talked about anyone about this song in particular. That was the other thing as well, I remember as well with um, going back to Mark Radcliffe. Um, he used to have a section where they'd have someone in from a band um, reading something from their favourite book. Mm. And um, Tim Wheeler did All Quiet on the Western Front. And it was really moving. Again, just so profound and beautiful. The way he read it was so moving. Um, and I remember at the Fleece saying, I met him and got him to sign something. <laughs> and I said, like, you know, I really loved the All Quiet on the Western Front thing. And he said, oh, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that. Um, and my brother asked him, asked him how how come that he had such a nice guitar, and he said he was loaded or something. But it didn't spoil the it didn't spoil the vibe. But I do, again, I just sorry, I'm really banging on, but like, I just I just didn't understand where this song came from. I don't know. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I think people need to hear these. I, I don't think there's many people out there on podcasts banging on about the love of Uncle Pat. So, you know, it's about time <laughs> yeah. it, had, it had a platform. And how Ash inspired them to go and read poetry. Yeah. 
you know, when you think about who are the kind of bands who might do that, you might think of like a prog rock band or something like that with some obscure reference that you don't understand whereas the lyrics are beautiful but they are very accessible yeah it's very it's very simple language it's very simple yeah. language i mean maybe quite smithsy then maybe but it doesn't have the kind of irony of the smiths you know and because of its beauty is why it became uh, the theme tune to a heineken ad but obviously <laughs> yeah of course which is... <laughs> Rep- represents all of the lyrics in the song the most 90s advert i think i've ever seen in it my life quite an all extraordinary the advert, it, it? it just oh does not gosh. make any sense it's like they just plucked out any random song and gave yeah. that a well, the, to be fair they only have the instrumental bits in it right there's nothing about you know a small wood or a cottage but but they yeah. even put ash so, the CD onto the record player. Yeah. This is really weird. True. Yeah. And that that kind of flirtatious relationship is that's mm. that's. I mean, wow. It, I mean, are you gonna put, can you post this on your we have, social? We have, we have, we have to in some way. Yeah, it's, we it's will. Quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so, so for me, I, I never really uh, after after hearing you, you uh, say how much you love it, I'm gonna um, say that for me, I've always struggled to love it. I, I think it's perfectly fine. It's, it's a, I enjoy the the the. the cause I guess I've never really listened to the lyrics. Only during this um, research, actually delve deeper um mm. i i just you know i thought okay this sounds like you know a bit pixie-ish and a bit high school band and i dismissed it my bad but um oh, no did you what did what about the folky thing did you pick up on that because it really. sounds like a folk melody I yeah think. yeah i i think like um bab said because my first ash was life as ordinary it mm. was like what is this other side of it? it 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 wasn't what i first fell in love with um, so I struggled, but I guess have they never gone back to this at all? They've never really gone back to this kind of Not music. Not as far have they? as I know. Not as far as I know. Because a lot of bands do return to where they get you know, saying, "Hi guys, we've gone back to our debut album sound," you know, mm. to, as a nostalgic thing. But yeah, I, I feel like I have done it an injustice, and I said, "Well, I could go listening back to Uncle Pat." Well, it's. I mean, it's just a. It's, pure, it's a very personal response for mm. me. I don't. I don't. I completely don't understand it. I mean, it'd be quite weird if everyone had the exact same response to it. <laughs> Went off to do English at university. Again, on YouTube, those people are mentioning the the, the lyrics really? and, and how oh, it means something nice. to them. I mean, they've had fifty six thousand, so it's had five thousand more than petrol um, yeah. compared to Stereophonics numbers. It's it's ridiculously small. Yeah, yeah. But um, Babs, what's your what are your thoughts on Uncle Pat? I quite like this song. You know, so this is the song from Intergalactic Sonic mm. Sevens that did yeah. make it through. Hooray, Kazar. And like Fran, I had never really paid attention to the lyrics. I I have them here. It's they're absolutely gorgeous. Mm. I think, you know, obviously I knew that the song ended with them saying, "So this is so here's for Uncle Pat, whatever it is." But honestly, really, I'd never made the connection that it might be a eulogy. Mm. And I think Tim Wheeler's voice on this sounds so sweet, yeah. which is what it should sound like for a song with this kind of uh, a melody and the guitar sort of fits in really nicely. So for this one, compared to the other two from Trader, this one I I got immediately, even without listening to the lyrics. So then when you discover the lyrics, it definitely adds a whole new di- dimension to it. In 1995, they, he, they opened their A-level, he opened his A-level results live on Radio 1. So he would have been, they would have been 17 when they did this, maybe even 16. Mm. So it's so mature. I think there was a YouTube comment which was like, is this the best album done by 16-year-olds? And then someone mentioned an album by Silverchair. Oh, right. I think the Australian band. But I'm like, okay, I'd have to go and listen to that. But, but what is interesting, I think Girls on Mars was written during this period as well. Yeah, and yeah, how, yeah. how different a track that could be compared to yeah. me, isn't it? 
over underrated. What's your next track? It's Goldfinger, which was the first single from this album. Although, no, they released Kung Fu as well, didn't they? Which is also on 1977. I think it was the fourth. I think they did Kung Fu, Angel Inceptor, Girls on Mars. And then this was the first single after the album had been released. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, I mean, again, this is another beautiful song. I, I listened to when I listened to it through today. I'm sure there's auto tune on it, but it was recorded pre auto tune. Do you know what I mean? Really? You can definitely hear. Maybe it's like a vocoder or something. There's definitely a very like um, processed vocal I mean, thing. I mean, 1997 Cher did it, so why not in yeah. 1996? Eh? <laughs> but um, no, I love this song, and I think again, it's got these beautiful lyrics. And I think he writes. That's the amazing thing is um, to be young, but to, to be able to write about being young with such a kind of almost wistful, nostalgic air is because this is about having parties and. Uh, getting bottles of wine in and it raining a lot <laughs> and uh you know was it your your brother started school so you know being very young and but he the way he main, main, manages to make it sound so sad as well because it's it's it's, got, it's an interesting song it's comp you know it's complicated it's really it's really beautiful great melody you can really you can write a tune yeah i think he said it is about him growing up and he had finished school mm. and his brother was starting school and he's looking back at his, his past life and down Patrick. Mm. But yeah, but no, I do like the lyric. And I, I put some records on, yeah, yeah. and some bottles of wine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, like I said, this is the first track I heard. I think it was a, a top five single. Yeah. And then it, it doesn't really sound a lot like Ash. And I, I think that um, Owen Morris was asking them they need another single mm. and he went through all those tracks and then like this is one of the last ones he played to them and he thought of this as like a throwaway b-side because it didn't really fit in after um yeah. back catalog and then goes no no that that's the single we're, we're, <laughs> that's going on the album so it's like, okay and you know and history has shown but it's one of the biggest it's, yeah I, I, people on youtube absolutely adoring again they're saying oh this reminds you of when music was good <laughs> yada 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 <laughs> well the quote that i've got is from Shit Sumel Gumovich is this song is what falling in love in the 90s felt like brackets at least how wow. I remember it so this song this is an interesting one I had not listened to this song in years because my memory was you know it got downloaded in Kazar back in the mid 2000s and I didn't like it but I I really did like it this time around because yeah it has this grungier sound but what makes it for me is the really unexpected key changes yeah. core changes I don't even know and especially you know right at the beginning you know the quiet bits where it's just his voice and a guitar, and then suddenly the but 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 comes back in on the drums, changes it. So it's constantly uh, another word I like to say. It's constantly wrong-footing you. It's con- constantly taking you in different directions. It, it packs so much into to the short mm. time. And I really like the bridge with the guitar solo and the I've called them the space mm. guitars, which make it sound really like it is raining. Um, and I mean, I don't know if he still feels. Uh, the same about this but i did read a quote that tim Wiener said that goldfinger has the best words i've ever written and yeah the the analysis is it's about a guy sat at home on a dark night his girlfriend off has gone out he's a clingy person and worrisome and the absence of the person with the with the pathetic fallacy of the lashing rain causes him to worry is, is what genius.com wow. says and i'm like yeah sounds about right but it is it's quite funny because yeah you say you know he really makes it sound depressing for me for me it's just it's it's more wistful than depressing there is a kind of romance to it where he doesn't seem like a complete sad sack right like there is still some uh some interest there and some romance i mean and he looks like 
such a little puppy dog in the in the mm. video as well with his longer hair and everything and yeah he is he's 17 i'm not gonna say anything else he's too young for me to make anything but he, you know he's a very cute man and a very very cute boy and a very attractive yeah. man in his older age as well and i think that that also yeah helps sell that robin after hearing trailer when you first heard things like girls on mars were you put off were you surprised what were your thoughts of their new like more mainstream post-punk um, sound i loved i loved girl from mars yeah i, I don't know really i mean i guess i i mean i, f- I followed them and, and and did really really obviously bought the records and, and loved them but yeah i always just had such fondness for those early singles really you know um yeah, no, I, but I, I, I listened to 1977 today and I think there are some songs on it that are just like, it's not, I think you can tell that they weren't quite sure what they were doing. I and mean, it's, it's very bombastic and it doesn't always like mm. hit home. And what it does, it's very, very good, like on Goldfinger. Do you remember, did you get 1977? It had this kind of, do you remember the bonus track, which was them all being sick? The vomit. Yeah, so sick. disgusting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And when I was even more surprised when I found that that was actually real sick as well. Yeah, it actually was Rick puking up. Yeah. And also, but I was so surprised, like like it's magic, that you could rewind from track one and there'd be a track before track one. Yeah. Like, what is this, like, voodoo sort of thing? Like... Yeah, Super Furry Animals did that with Gorilla, and it's the best song on the album. But it was, like, almost impossible to rewind it to the yeah, right spot. and Spot- Spotify has destroyed the hidden track, yeah, hasn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, yeah. But, um... But yeah, I, I love uh, Lose Control and, and the mm. singles, but not much else, I think, on that album. Kung Fu's on that album, right? Yeah, Kung Fu's great. Yeah, w- when they played that live in 2018, that really made me enjoy it much more than uh, than just listen to it on the record. Am I right in saying that Mark used three strings on his bass for like the first 20 years? Well, that rings a bell. Yeah. That sounds and it's like only it recently he's actually added that, uh, that other string. <laughs> so if you are going to learn bass, surely he's yeah. a good one to copy. Honestly, Numskull, for for getting your aggression out, I, I do recommend it. But going back to old music for, for one <laughs> final track, what's your fifth song, oh, Robin? A Life Less Ordinary, which was the song that was written for the Danny Boyle film, which was the, was the am I right in saying that's the f- film he made after Trainspotting? Yeah. Yep, so had all the hype. Yeah. And I, I just feel like he totally hit the brief like he's such a good songwriter i think the chorus of this is amazing and it could be a carol king song or something it seems to have an incredible early 60s quality it's Mm. really beautiful and there's just that again it's that note of longing in it he can write a really really good love song and yeah i think the chorus is beautiful and and i just i really respect him for having this huge you know request like basically, can you write something as good as Lust for Life by Keep Off? You know? <laughs> um, but which obviously it isn't, but like, um, I mean, it's a different thing. I don't mean it isn't as good, you see what I mean? But like, I don't know, I just, I've always loved this song, I think it's really good. I bought us a CD single, mm. and uh, it's, it's way better than the film. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the film now. I was gonna ask if you guys Cameron Diaz in it, that's yeah. all I can remember about it. Yeah, I literally, yeah, this is, this is the only only thing I can remember from the whole film. The soundtrack does look good though. The sun, it's got Beck and R.E.M. Well, Danny and Boyle Cardigans. is a good guy for soundtracks, but yeah. Yeah. I listened to this for the first time in a while, and when the chorus hit, I got shivers. Mm. And I thought, yeah, this is such a perfect pop song. It is. And, it's great. And, and I forgot about how good the music video is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, l- l- lyrically. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, mm. I sell my soul. Um, I, I love. Yeah, every time I see them live, this is always a highlight. Mm. And when it, when the, the the music the, the instrumental section in the middle when all the guitars jump in, ah, yeah. oh, 
Beautiful. So yeah, so I'm very happy that you, you, you chose this track. Yeah. And that's, I think this is why everyone felt so confused by Nuclear Sounds, because this came just before it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and you're waiting for this, maybe maybe the Free Your Angels album, and then, and then, oh, this is not what we expected. Because Nuclear Sounds was the first single Jesus says, and it's almost like he's trying to do like a Lou Reed or something. I mm. don't know, it wasn't, I don't know. I remember it on Top of the Pops, I think he was wearing, was he wearing a straight jacket? Have I misremembered that on Top of the Pops? I can't remember. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think it almost bankrupt the band, the band, uh, the album. It, really? it flops, it flops so hard, yeah. Oh wow! And then he had to do, um, he recorded Shark, I think, for a computer game just to to keep him going to be able to record Free Angels. So when Free wow. Angels hit and it hit big as a half, yay! Ash have done well again. <laughs> so Babs, life is ordinary. I do like this song. I think the sense that the rockier direction that they take later on, which I prefer. I really like how wistful it sounds. The fact that he can call someone a white goddess and it doesn't, he never sounds gauche. Right. It's quite incredible that such a young guy can write these lyrics and they just sound, yeah, beautiful and meaningful. You know, they wrote Uncle Pat when they were, what, 15, 16, yeah. and to write something like this at 18, 19, it is unreal. But I will say, you know, I, I do I do enjoy several of the songs on the playlist, but it is funny because I still, despite, despite this kind of reappraisal reassessment, yeah, it isn't it isn't the ones I would pick, but that I think is what makes Ash quite an interesting band because I think even between you and Fran, you probably also wouldn't pick the, the same songs, mm. Fran. I think the three of us would come with three completely different lists, which I think is what makes them an underrated band in a way, because I think people do associate Shining Light and Burn Baby Burn, maybe Girl from mm-hmm. Mars, and that's it, when there's much more than that. I would say that the A to, to Z um collection has some of the best ever songs. And by them choosing to not release it on an album at first and release them all as a single. Oh, yeah. It kind of hurt their career massively. Um, They've got a track called, I think it's called Sky Burial, which is a 11-minute instrumental, which sounds horrendous, but I absolutely adore it, and it sounds nothing like anything Ash has ever ever done. I think because they were doing singles every month, they could be more experimental. So it's the first time that they had, like, 80s synth sounds. I think they were completely you know, trying out as many creative ideas as possible so if you do have time please check out the a to z, z collection I will, i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to that tomorrow and i'm gonna listen to the new album as well because i feel like for such an important formative <laughs> band like i haven't ever really got past trailer which is really fun <laughs> yeah i get that yeah i totally get that even with you know the subway through they're touring with I, I think, like I said, I love their first album so much. And I remember being so disappointed when that second album came out. And then I listened to it five years later and I was like, oh, no, it is actually good. It's just that it wasn't the first album and that was the expectation mm. that I had. So now I have to come into it with like a totally different mindset. And yeah, I mean, I would even say maybe after you've done all that, maybe maybe try Nuclear Sounds again. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what if you like it, but I, I think um, Death Trip 21 and uh, a number That's the one that's going in the kind of rap rock direction, isn't it? One, one, one million miles away. Da, da, I can't da, da, remember da, da, da. that at all. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Playing with the dark stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, go go and listen to Tim Wheeler play with the dark stuff. Fran, your conclusion. Are Ash underrated? Uh, I believe. Is it, is it 47,000? It's 470,000. 417,000 monthly listeners. I was shocked. I thought it would be in the millions. So, uh, yeah, a sixth of what the stereophonics are getting. And looking at the videos, like, yeah, they haven't even gone past a million apart from like a ordinary views. So, yeah. And as I said, you know, every time I see them at a festival, they're, they're sl- slowly sliding down the, the list of. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, definitely underrated. I do, I do like a bit of ash. 
I find this one quite hard, I have to say, because so my idea of Ash is that they in the yeah, in the let's say the Brit Poppy Force, but let's say more widely in the in the nineties, noughties British rock canon, they are one of the biggest bands on there, right? So I was coming in being like one there, but they're, they're not underrated. I see the point that Robin's trying to make that you know their earlier stuff is worth exploring. Um but when I saw, you know, not only how many monthly listeners they've had, but how many plays their new album has had on Spotify, it's not that many uh, for a band. Uh, it did maybe be like, oh, maybe they are underrated. But I I think I'm going to say they're rated <laughs> just because yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence. The songs of theirs I like, I really like. Like Numskull, I, listen, guys, I know I'm on a different level, but Numskull, I, I got really obsessed with it. I, like, I bought the single... I think in lockdown, that's how how recent it is. And they're definitely a band that I do get very obsessive about and and will listen to certain songs uh, over and over again. We haven't even we didn't even touch upon Candy, which I really like, which samples the Walker Brothers. Didn't even know mm. that until today. So I am a really big fan of some of their stuff, but I don't think I can call them truly underrated because I don't like enough of their records that I've listened to in their entirety. But it's one of those where I'm like, come back to me in five years' time when I've listened to more, and maybe I will say that they're underrated when I've listened to it a bit more. I haven't listened to the singles compilation, for example. Um, and despite you know saying that I enjoyed the songs from the album Islands, I remember kind of going on setlist.fm being like, right, what were the what were the three songs I heard from that album? Okay, let's save them, and then I've listened to it once or twice since. You know, so I maybe well maybe a bit like you, Robin. I haven't given enough enough of a chance post a certain period, probably post meltdown. Um, and I probably need to do that to come up with a better opinion. So, oh, yeah. two underrated and one rated. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Robin. So, yeah, as um, where can our audience find you? And do you have anything like to promote to them? Or I've just finished a series. Yeah, like I mentioned, working with the the Cleontel, who are a brilliant band, such an interesting band. And I, I did make a ten episode uh, podcast about them. I was talking to the band and talking to fans of the band and things i'm really proud of it because they're, they're a band that means an awful lot to me and i think they're so interesting um lyrically musically there's so many jumping off points when i was talking to them it was great so i'm really proud of that little series so yeah if you if you fancy having a listen to that it's called the cleontel podcast and it's available on all platforms i think <laughs> Babs, any final thoughts on Britpop modern music? I mean, yeah, kind of in a more earnest fashion. I I was thinking about this throughout the recording of like paying to go and see, a, let's say, a more legacy band like Ash versus paying to see newer acts. I think that's always something I have in my mind. Having also, you know, going back to the beginning, having just seen the Sugar Babes, mm. right, who started in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. Because I, I think you and I, friend, have talked about, you know, like, oh, it's, it is quite frustrating when you see the people who only support, mm. you know, who only will go and see bands from ye olde days and uh, don't, uh, you know, don't support your music. But I think when a band that has been going so long, still with the original lineup, still putting on good shows, whether they're playing, you know, a kind of greatest hit set or, or newer stuff as well, it is it is worth supporting them. I think I'm trying to convince myself to go and splurge for those tickets to go and see Ash on the Subways, basically. Um, so what I'm trying to say is support live music, <laughs> as uh, as we often say. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, um, check out Ash, check out their new album. Um, you know, your favourite bands, you don't have to love all of it, but as long as you love 
enough and the band will be thankful and you know you don't have to you're not a bad fan for not liking the new album it's fine mm. i think some people out there tend to to love every single band because that they have loved that album that love that band since they're 13 and it's fine to not love everything that your artists will release it's, but no they will as long as they're still going they will bring out something amazing again mm. so keep supporting your favorite artists and other cliches. Very, very <laughs> wise words to Molly Sean. put. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thanks again, Robin. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was great. And there we go. That was your 90s special part three, maybe. And um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. We talked for maybe two and a half hours. And yeah, this was the highlighted package thanks again to robin for being our guest and so supportive and always if you enjoyed the podcast please like and subscribe and also you can follow us on social media we are on twitter at ou music pod we are on blue sky at ou music pod as well also on instagram at over underrated music pod and also you can give us a mail on your gmail which is over underrated music pod at gmail.com see you next time guys thanks again